It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So we've got a bit of a heavy topic this week and before we start I'm going to ask you Els to tell me something awesome from the internet please. Uh, Are you ready? I was born ready. You weren't born ready for this because a friend of mine showed me a new game online and it's called wait for it dream daddy simulator. That doesn't sound very wholesome. It's it's the most pure thing in the whole world because the conceit is that um, it's like a sim game it's like a dating sim game oh. and instead of your usual het breeding pairs that you find in most of these games all of the playable characters and all of the characters you largely interact with are dads that gay dads gay dads and the person who showed me for this is actually a guy who sleeps with women but that has not stopped him getting heavily invested in his character who has turned up to town He's just lost his spouse. He has a troubled relationship with his teenage daughter. And all that he wants to do is facilitated by a Facebook corollary called Dad Book. He's meeting all the other dads. And you have the jock dad. You've got the goth dad. You've got the artsy sensitive dad. The hipster dad. There's so many dads to choose from. Do you get to choose your dad bod? You get to choose. You do. You get to choose your your piercings, whether you have a beard, your your variety of dad bod. Like some, you can have a toned dad bod. You can like choose the extent to which you want to have like a little beer gut. It's it's beautiful. And this is amazing. And it's like it's this wonderful experiment in this just homo sociality that is the purest thing in the whole world because usually when you get exclusively male avatars clustering together on the internet it rapidly turns into this like something dreadful yeah this 4chan hellscape but not on dream daddy simulator it's yeah it's a utopia of masculinity and i love absolutely everything about it that's amazing yeah because it turns out that toxic masculinity can infect anything even as it turns out my little pony friendship is magic which we talked about before there are nazi misogynists bronies and that really upsets me sometimes friendship is not magic are you saying friendship is not enough (laughs) to heal the ills of the world through the power of love and friendship i'm saying that my little pony is necessary but perhaps not sufficient to combat the rising tide of the far right i mean call me a contrarian but it is it's a hill i'm i'm willing to die on
today we are talking about sexual violence in the post Harvey Weinstein gate era, although it seems a bit big to call it a gate. Now I feel like a gate is more restricted. This gate has been opened. It's and like a portal. A portal, yes. To a hell dimension. Hell, a hell dimension in it. Well, they're not necessarily a hell dimension. It's the dimension we've already been living in. Apart from weirdly, we now believe women. And somehow, all of these crazy people saying that sexual violence has been in every industry from the day dot are kind of, they've been right all along. So what do we do now? And the question we're asking is, what do we do now? Specifically, what do we do with people in communities and public figures who have been accused of sexual violence and rape? What do we do from a justice perspective and within the legal system? And Els, I, I know you wanted to start off on this talking about carceral justice. And when he said that to me, I said, what is carceral justice? So what is carceral justice? So carceral justice is a phrase used to encapsulate the usual legal and prison-based ways in which we conceive of justice. Justice is achieved when the bad person is found guilty in a court of law and then is sent to prison Mm -hmm. for some kind of specified amount of time, right? That's how we think through what social restitution is and how more you know, more specifically how social change happens. When we want to change something in society that involves an injustice, we usually, our knee-jerk impulse is to say, okay, how can we lock people up differently? Mm -hmm. Or how can we change the laws that operate undergirding structures that ultimately end up locking people up? And what Me Too has shown Mm -hmm. is the wholehearted inadequacy of that of that response, right? Because, okay, so no woman I, I know, and very few queers as well, uh, were, were shocked by the Me Too. It's, they, were, they were always talked oh, about yeah. as revelations, right? This was, this was revelatory, to, revelatory to no woman. Like you just, that's why you text your friend saying, did you get home safe? That's code for like- Absolutely. Did, did anyone do something violent and horrible to yep. you on your way home? That's what we talk about, that's bread and butter. But what it has done is that it's, it's necessarily changed our conversation. It's tested the usual limits of our imaginations on Mm. what justice looks like. Because if you said like, okay, every woman pretty much has been a victim of some kind of harassment or some kind of assault or abuse on some level, okay, let's do the math. That means that there are out there millions of people who have assaulted and abused women. Yeah. And that's, you know, that shouldn't be a surprise. That's how patriarchy functions, right? But what do we do with those people? Yeah, the, the response cannot be to lock them all up, right? I mean, you've got the... You've got the Just on an infrastructure problem. level, you can't do exactly. it. Exactly. Obviously, obviously, it's a question of infrastructure, right? But when we demand the prison system be the vehicle that delivers us justice, we have to look at like, okay, what is the prison system for? And historically, it's a way of controlling populations that society finds intolerable. Mm. And yes, that includes people who have done bad things, but it's also a way of uh, managing populations that people uh, have, you know, done nothing wrong or done things that other people would get away with easily. So that's why in the US, the prison industrial complex houses 
more black people than slavery did under the the last years mm -hmm. of of chattel slavery and that is that is no coincidence right the prison system is an extension of existing structures of power and we need to be very very conscious of the way of the limits of demanding that sexual justice be delivered via the the reins of power which you know is, is set up to protect the position largely of uh, rich white men in our society right so you have a lot of people saying well what i'm hearing is a lot of people particularly men saying well if you really think this guy is a rapist or if you think he is a serial abuser well why isn't he in jail and if he isn't in jail then surely he must have done nothing wrong yeah what how do you deal with that argument well i think there's the obvious point to be made or rather seems obvious to my eyes but is um quite alienated from our legal system with a lot of people coming on to this being like presumption of innocence what's happening yes. why are these you know why is everyone assuming that these men are guilty what's up with mm. believe women but uh, coded into our legal system is a presumption of innocence on the accused party right yeah and in many ways that's got a lot of intuitive force behind that but we can't forget the fact that when someone who has been accused of rape is presumed innocent, what that also means is that we presume the accuser is lying. Right, so it's the assumption of his innocence and her guilt. Exactly. And you see, in so much of the, of the new far right and the new misogynist alt-right, the idea of rape myths are really, really powerful, even though we know that rape is no more or less a false reported crime than any other serious crime. The rate is a less than less than five percent i believe although the figures are hard to get hold of but it's not common to have people falsely report rape and that's by no coincidence right because reporting rape is a really traumatic process yeah. in many ways it, it involves unveiling the very private intimate details of your personal and sexual life telling your story again and again and again to basically confessing to the crime that's been done against you exactly and you know you because we have an adversarial court system that means that you're going to have to largely be interrogated mm -hmm. by someone who has like a vested professional interest in portraying you as a liar as unreliable and that kind of thing it's Obviously, people don't go through that system lightly. Yeah, why would you do that for fun? But the idea that anybody who has not had charges brought against them or anybody who's not in jail is not a rapist is obviously nonsense and we need to push back against that hard. Um, but then the broader question of what does justice look like, I think that's worth staying with because because what does it look like? What do these women want then? what? How do they want the world to change if the answer is not just lock up everyone who's ever groped someone at a party. I'm not using that example, doesn't mean that that's not bad, but lock up every groper, every abuser. If we can't do that, what does justice look like? I think we need to start from why we use the templates of justice that we currently use of like, there's this, there are a few monsters out there and we need to just keep them away from society and then the bad thing is over with, right? That is easy to do. And mm. that doesn't require um, men and society more broadly to confront the ways in which it enables these structures of power to exist. Because as we've seen in the revelations, if you like, coming from not just actresses who are assaulted in hotel rooms, but the hotel cleaners who are yeah. also 
routinely uh, abused and assaulted in those hotel rooms is that sexual assault and abuse happens when there is an imbalance of power. And so when you're talking about tackling abuse and assault, you need to talk about tackling the imbalance of power that allows those cultures to flourish, which is a lot about it's economic justice and providing people with more rights at work so they know they can, say, lodge a complaint against their abusive employer without fearing mm -hmm. that they're going to be kicked out of their job and not be able to feed their kids or whatever. Right. So you're saying that this is not just about sex, it's about power as well. Exactly. That, we've heard that line a lot. And I think it's difficult because in so many cases, it is about sex as well as power because for these people... What sex means is an eroticized imbalance of power. They fetishize the idea that, that of having control over somebody less powerful than them. But I think it's important not to make that power invisible and to come back to how we can change it because like an imbalance of power and hierarchy, I don't think that should be sexy apart from between consenting adults within maybe a small room by yourself. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's fascinating the sort of hollowing out of the idea of sex that happens mm. when sex and power collapse together. Because, you know, apparently because I'm, you know, uh, I, I enjoy torturing myself on the internet. I went on some uh, pickup artist forums because uh, to be like, okay, what, like, what do these people want? How do they think? Because I'm kind of fascinated by toxic masculinity in yep. a way, because it's, it's so alien to me. There's a, a bit lot like watching Blue Planet. Exactly. Except awful. <laughs> it's Blue Planet, except instead of like a lovely penguin having a great time, it's just <laughs> the worst excesses of humanity like crawling around I in feel, their own slime. I feel like the pickup artist community would be so much better if it was narrated by David Attenborough. <laughs> that would be wonderful. 
<laughs> as you see, they have their. I can't do it, but like as you see, they have their complicated rituals of you know they of beta males and alpha males, and there is the figure of the Chad. No one knows quite what the Chad is. I actually don't know what what is the Chad. Nobody knows. Chad is basically their word for. I think it's a guy who has a lot of sex with women by being nice, and they can't quite figure it out. But they do you remember I had a guinea pig called Chad. That's what I always did he think have of. A, did he have sex with a lot of nice women by being nice to them? No, I, I don't think I was old enough to sort of. I hated articulate. that guinea pig. I hated that guinea pig. He, made, he made me sneeze. Me too. And I'm glad he's dead. I said it. <laughs> sorry. I wouldn't. I'm sorry. not going to go there. Sorry, Chad. Talking of, of rejoicing in people's demise, pickup artists—they have this idea of sex where it is. They, they talk about it in in a way that they're kind of disgusted by it. Yeah, it's like it's just. Don't think about sexual technique. It's just tubes of muscles inserted into muscular canals, and it's, it's really just a weirdly unsexy. Power. It's they they don't care about sex transparently. It's mm. about exerting power, and it's all about sort of using sexual lives to to punish women essentially who intrude on what they conceive of as like a, an exclusively male space of like public like, homosociality of political power yeah. of even just sort of you know walking down the street how dare they the idea of sex being used as a disciplining force to control women but then that's also where they then locate their own sexuality that's how they're allowed to get off by being kind of policing that intimate realm and it's really it's really upsetting and almost sad. And it would be sadder if it weren't also evil and causing real damage. Yeah. The the way they seem to see sex as this almost entrepreneurial thing. And this, of course, is how how neoliberalism tends naturally towards fascism. Because, like, the idea of the entrepreneur, the sex entrepreneur, the pickup artist, you know, who's just optimizing his technique and, you know, going around getting as many notches on the bedpost, creative destruction. But then, of course, when that all falls apart and when most people can't do that, they just switch over into direct, just violent misogyny, burn it all down. Exactly. I mean, the idea that street harassment is a compliment is mm. just so, so transparently rubbish. And that's been proved by ask any woman who having received a so-called compliment on the street gives a bit of front and says hey don't do that it immediately turns mm. into i didn't want to shag you anyway and f you bitch and sometimes and you smile because you you know you don't want to deal with that anger Exactly. And I think there's a fascinating almost sociopathy in the sort of continued um, attitude that women must like this, right? Yeah. Because when you look at um, the endemic levels of sexual violence in our culture, which, you know, men do know about, right? They have to know yeah. about it because otherwise, how could white men weaponize the concept of uh violence against women in order to justify being more racist right yeah. they know that they know that rape happens yeah basic but, but it's always someone else doing it it's always someone else doing it but um the idea that women might just be like playing along in order to calm the situation down in order to de-escalate and not seem as a threat and not incur more violence is just so it's just so alien because the presumption is always that you know, you could never be doing the bad thing. 
But it fascinates me because there is a front and a pose, an aspiration towards this violent, terrifying masculinity. And yet from the inside, and of course these guys, they're just trained from birth never to try and see it from someone else's point of view. But from their point of view, they're not a scary person because they know that inside they're terrified. How can anybody possibly be scared of them? This woman must just be, you know, she must actually like it, otherwise she would put up a front. I don't think it's about being terrified so much. I think it's about what it is like to be trained on the myth of your own heroism, right? That is the guiding logic underpinning so much of our of our culture, so many of our cultural narratives. That and this is what's mm. a true uh the true challenge of combating rape culture is confronts, right? It, it's a psychological problem as well as an economic problem because it, it means that men have to confront the idea that they're not the heroes Absolutely. in this story. Particularly white guys, particularly straight white guys. The idea, Look, the iconography, for example, of what happened in Charlottesville, I looked at those pictures of those guys unironically holding the burning torches and yelling, and yet somehow not wanting to be called racist or Nazis. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, this is what happens when you've never read a story where someone like you wasn't the hero. Like, those people will not, it will take them a long time to understand that in that situation, like that Mitchell and Webb sketch, that are we the baddies? Are we the baddies? Exactly. And, and what's fascinating there is that these are all, you know, from communities online who are galvanized around misogyny and around perpetuating rape culture. Yeah. But one of the main kind of torches, metaphorically and literally, yeah. of white supremacy is about protecting white women from the yes. perceived like vicissitudes of like this threatening sexuality of men of color yes the outsider rapist which is such an old trope from the jim crow south to uh, and, you know way way you know the sort of like the idea of like marauding like the marauding islamic hordes in like the um in the time of the crusades like it this is a very protecting very old christian trope. white women but the, the point being that um this is not about respecting any woman's autonomy mm. this is because that one of the one of the basic tenets of uh of white supremacy is that like okay no matter how how poor you are as a white guy you are always guaranteed one property right and that is the right to white women's bodies yes and often to the bodies of women of color and what men of color are supposed to be doing when they quote unquote cross the color line they are not you know they're infringing on the terrain of of like white male power yeah. that's why in like in a lot of legal systems say in the jim crow south you could you could accuse a a, a black man of raping a white woman irrespective of, of whether or not she consented to it because right. the point was that the color line had been crossed and that infringes the property rights of white men and right. that is the real crime here so consent doesn't come into it at all in no this not idea. at all so I, i'm just thinking of the 
that awful cover of Foreign Policy magazine, I believe it was, about a year ago, where they had just all these, you know, brown hands coming out grabbing this blonde white woman, and, and the title was "The Rape of Europe," unironically, and it was it was about the the immigrant quote unquote crisis. It was it was so transparent and so disgusting, but I feel like people should have that picture above their desks if they're ever going to write about this because it's it's one of the defining like, images. Like not this. <laughs> not do not do that. But also remember, if you talk about sexual violence, the what we mean when we talk about the intersectionality of this conversation, who gets to be the hero, and how we define the rapist as villain, as monster, as outsider, and also because the fact that. Um, uh, someone pointed out that a lot of the people coming forward in the Me Too upsurge were white women, mm. um, and obviously uh, the majority of the uh, of the movie stars coming forward were also white mm-hmm. women, powerful white women. And if we're saying so, you know, white men are always supposed to be the heroes. It's, it's important to say that, like, actually, uh, women of color are very seldom truly allowed to be allowed to be the victims because in yeah. this pro- in this white supremacist property relation they're you know they're less than property almost absolutely um and so that 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 idea of like infringing on a property relation even that doesn't obtain so for example is it much harder for a woman of color to stand forward and be believed i think it's interesting that i guess we wouldn't know because we're two white women (laughs) discussing this obviously (laughs) like it's we can't just conjecture but i mean we can just um listen to you know the many women who say absolutely yes right Mm -hmm. and it's why it's so extraordinary and so um and so admirable that one of the uh women in a landmark case about workplace sexual harassment was um anita hill a woman of color and i think when we talk about transformative justice and like how we combat rape culture more more generally we do need to to look to like okay who has who has least power to come forward and name their abuser and that is all about where you are positioned in society and i'm very glad that this you know the weinstein accusations have triggered uh this upsurge in uh in conversation and in confrontation about um, about sexual violence endemic in our society, but I think it's interesting that it had to come from powerful women, yes. mostly powerful white women. I would say um, this is absolutely not what you're saying at all. But I've heard an yeah. argument, and I've heard several arguments along these lines being used, mainly by our favourite kind of brochurist white guy on the left, to imply that because these because there are problems with the way this backlash against sexual violence is being framed therefore it's entirely redundant so oh this is all nonsense because it was white women who came forward first and because we're not we haven't decided quite what carceral justice is supposed to look at it's entirely redundant so i think it's important while we critique the movement not to allow the broader misogynist left or, or indeed the right to to use that as an excuse to just throw it all out because it is extraordinary right Yes, it is. It is an extraordinary moment. And I have my discursive problems with Me Too. And obviously there are a lot of questions that still need to be answered around, okay, what happens now? Yes. How do we... How do we turn this not just into a moment of like cultural catharsis when it's over and and we go, oh, thank God we got rid of those bad guys, eh? Like how yes. how can we how can we carry this forward into a transformative momentum? But um, there, there is also the point that like 
people like heads are rolling like heads oh, yes. have not rolled before real people are losing their jobs powerful white men are being cast out of industries and it's funny that i saw a, a tweet go past the other day which everybody was mocking a guy saying look we have to understand that this is an extraordinary and unprecedented loss of talent from across different industries <laughs> you know talent has never been lost in this way before and then of course people saying well you know, talent has been lost. Talent has been lost when women don't take their careers further and women are frozen out of industries and creative communities, which has been happening for centuries. That's the real tragic loss of talent. And when we talk about consequences and justice, it's important to remember that those con there have already been consequences to be paid but they've been paid mainly by women, mainly by exactly. the victims of sexual violence. And, and this idea of um, that if you hear about this, this upsurge in people talking about their, uh, their abuse and their assault, harassment, um, your first instinct is to be like, but, but won't it ruin a man's career? Like, first of all, probably not, not. Probably not, right? And second of all, who cares? Who cares? I mean, obviously, I want some kind of transformative justice where people are, uh, people can educate themselves, right? And there yes. isn't this kind of, you know, one strike and you're out, and that you can protect people, but you are you allow people some kind of space to learn and grow. But if that space to learn and grow means continuing on with your successful and career with absolutely no consequences, like that's not transformative. No, that's it's a not. cop out. It's not. And maybe there was there would have been space years ago for these men to make amends and to and to come to terms with what they've done. But that ship has kind of sailed at the moment. Right now it you know, we tried to be nicer about this, but right now it feels like there have to be consequences because that's there's no other way that these people are going to learn. Apparently there have to be personal consequences and it's not good enough just to explain to these guys that you're hurting women. And of course there's, there's this very urgent cultural project that needs to be furthered and is currently underway of like re-educating men mm -hmm. of course and re-educating women as well like women are complicit in this in many many ways we all need to re-educate ourselves but there's also um the very very important task of treating this like a disease because it is a disease it's freaking pandemic yes and what do you do of course you you roll out a program of inoculating kids against it but you also isolate the disease mm. you also yes. like stop it in its tracks and you do everything to make sure that 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 no one else is killed from killed from it yes. and th those two things are mutually mutually constitutive you, it turns out there are lots and lots of different ways to both provide a sense of justice and stop this from happening again which is not necessarily the same thing as justice so of course we can't mourn when these guys lose their jobs and we shouldn't, but there is something important to keep in mind here is that they lost their jobs because of public pressure and they were in industries largely or sectors which responded to public pressure, right? The, the lines of power and influence were, were, were very much dependent on retaining good faith from either an electorate or an audience or something like that. But we can't, just satisfy ourselves with demanding that people be fired first of all they still you know have homes and lives and they still you know 
will be, you know, going around, you know, potentially abusing in them as well. How do we deal with that? And there's also the more fundamental question of like, what if employers and what if institutions don't have a conscience? And of course, many of them don't, right? Look at the presidency. Absolutely. But there's a point in this that I think I disagree with you on and that I do think it's all right to to mourn, as you put it, and to feel sad when you look at the waste, not just of the of these men's careers, but also of you know, the damage done to the women around them. Mm-hmm. But I look at some at people I have you know admired as as individuals or as artists, as yeah. leaders, and I feel sad. I feel so disappointed that I wanted those people to be better. And, you know, I would do, there's so much I would do to not believe this thing about these guys. And that makes, it's not, necess- it's not, it's the opposite of a witch hunt. Prove me wrong, please. But I'll keep that open mind and I'll believe women first because that's, that's the, at the heart of my politics. It's, so I think we're allowed to be sad, but consequences have to there have to be consequences there have to be social consequences and if that comes from public pressure right now i think i think that's a broadly good thing oh i mean absolutely i'm not disputing the very very powerful role of of public outrage mm. in uh, delivering some kind of not justice but a first step towards it but i'm thinking here of say you know Donald Trump, Roy Moore, I mean, go back to the UK, you know, all of those um, top cabinet ministers on the on the redacted list, yes, who because there is not information out there, and because the lines of, of power aren't, aren't such that the justice can be delivered by, uh, by public outrage. Mm. I think we do need to, whilst embracing that energy, Think about how do we transform that energy into something that expresses itself um, in ways other than outrage. Just like, okay, yes. how do we, how do we build, say, more refuges yeah. for women who are affected by the by these? Saying, okay, how do we build more refuges for women who are affected by these issues? And how do we put resources into, you know, say? people going into schools and universities and talking about these issues openly? How do we make a cultural intervention? Within institutions as well, obviously you and me are both uh, either partly or wholly freelance and we don't work in large corporations, but somebody said to me yesterday who does business strategy, maybe what will change now is instead of large employers adjusting their insurance schemes so that it's more expensive to hire women of childbearing age, maybe they're going to just adjust their insurance schemes so it's more expensive and, and less attractive to hire men who might have assaulted someone. That rather than ask, yeah. yeah, rather than ask somebody at an interview, you know, do you plan to get pregnant? You know, obviously <laughs> you can't do that, but people do ask someone's like, do you plan to do a, a rape at all? Because we should, we should plan for that. You know, we because we, we've got to ensure and keep you out of our company if that's the case. You know, it's just not, it's not, it's not ethical. It, it's not, what is it? It's not economically viable to to hire all these all these gropey creeps you know yeah i mean there's there's something to be said for okay so how you know within the limited bounds of you know uh, corporate capitalism how do we try and change those incentives for like the moment as a as a layover yes to think about okay you know how do we achieve sexual justice 
within this framework, right? And, you know, equally, I think thinking about, you know, rolling out absolutely Teflon gold-plated employment contracts as industry standards across all industries so that, you know, fast food workers can uh can go and can go and accuse their their line managers are you saying that this is partly because of capitalism basically i i I, I may be hinting slightly towards that i am the red under the bed turns out capitalism was the problem all along it was so easy when you put it like that yeah and so hard all right so very hard so we've come to the end of this, and I don't think we've come to a definitive answer because it turns out this is hard. And you can't solve it in half an hour. No, or, or even half a lifetime. But we have got some more of the right questions. You've been listening to The Sisterhood, a podcast from New Statesman. If you'd like to support our work, go online and subscribe at newstatesman.com. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.